When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another summer edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that's happening for the players with college tennis ties in the pro tennis world. Of course, it was another jam packed week of results for those players, whether it be at the ATP WTA level, whether it be at Wimbledon qualifying at the challenger level or at the countless ITF events we saw happen across the globe. There are just so many players with college ties experiencing success every week on the pro tour. That's why we wanted to dedicate one episode a week here this summer to keeping track of all of those results. Help all of you college tennis fans stay up to date with all of your favorite players comings and goings and perhaps of course entice some of you pro tennis fans to maybe take a look at the college tennis season as you'll find so many of those players go on to success if you want to get a sneak peek of who those players might be in the future then perhaps this show will be for you but again there are so many events that happen across the pro tennis universe each and every week. It would be impossible for any one person to keep track of it all. That is why I am so grateful to have joining me once again here on this show and hopefully joining me every week on these deciding points throughout the summer, a returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you all know him best as the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and now podcast, co-host of our weekly season episode of the deciding point, but perhaps now after last week, you all know him as an internship guy. Of course, I know him as my dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Another fun week of tennis in the books. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Speaking of internship, I feel like this is a little bit of a summer internship. It's a little more laid back. It's casual. (laughs) It's got summer vibes. Like, you know, maybe I don't need an offer at the end of this internship. I know I already got one, actually. I, I think we're going to do the fall. So I'm like kind of hanging out, chilling, you know, it's, it's internship vibes for sure on this on these episodes. No, this for you is like vacation work or, you know, again, it's like, yeah, I got to check in. I got to check the emails. I'm still doing what I have to do at home. But don't bother me if I'm not in the office, if it's at this specific moment. I appreciate that. And yes, you can rest assured you will have a job come next season. I like that. Uh, but of course, again, it is always a pleasure to be joined by you. And it's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to chat about all of these players experiencing successes with college ties. And again, what we want to do here on today's show, focused on the best and the brightest. Now, we're going to try and tighten things up from what we did last week. 
week. We're not going to run through every result, but Jay and I are storytellers. And what we want to do is tell the story of this summer. Who are the players that are having breakthrough results? Why are the results they're experiencing significant in their pro tennis or just more broadly tennis trajectory moving forward. And so we will do our best to contextualize moving forward, uh, things moving forward. If that means we sacrifice a result here or there, we do apologize. Of course, as always, if we miss a result at AL Gruskin, at JTweets Tennis, at Cracked Rackets, please do let us know because we really do want to shine the spotlight on all of these results throughout the course of the summer. That said, before we get to today's, or this past week's, excuse me, results, I do want to say, A, if you think I'm not aware that Wimbledon starts on Monday, you're just not paying attention here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, we'll have daily breakdowns of everything that unfolds throughout the course of the fortnight. We will hopefully have GSP preview episodes throughout the course of the two weeks as well, breaking down all of the action in advance. We will also be live at what I am calling the NCAA bonus DVD edition of a challenger. Of course, that's the Bloomfield Hills event our Cracked Rackets team providing. On-site media, we're going to talk to everyone, and I've already had the chance to talk to our guys Lexi Galarno, Spiz, Bassover, you know, uh, Ethan Quinn's here, Maloney, Fenty. I was with my cousin Brad, and I appreciated the street cred each of those players afforded me by all coming up saying, Gruskin, what's up? I think the actual clinch, he's not a college guy, but Makun Sasakumar came up and said hello. And Brad, my cousin, was like, dude, even he knows you? I was like, well, we actually worked in exhibition events, so I might know Makun better than some of the college guys. Um, nevertheless, it is a pleasure uh, to be on site, to have a pro event in my hometown. Obviously, we got a lot of great coverage coming throughout the course of the week. Those are the pre-podcast plugs for you all. All of that established. Let's get into this summer edition of The Deciding Point. And as we did last time, I want to start with the biggest news stories of the week before we get into results. And that, of course, means doing another 10 minutes on the Michigan head coaching search. No, of course it does not. It means talking about the biggest storylines. And we have two storylines both related to young freshmen, redshirt freshmen, however you want to describe it, who experienced so much success over the course of the 2023 season. They've decided to leverage that success is the wrong word, but ride that success might be the better framing into the pros, ride the momentum into starting their professional tennis careers. And of course, the two freshmen, redshirt freshmen I'm referring to are Maddie Sieg, of USC and Ethan Quinn of the University of Georgia, who each announced their decisions to formally turn professional, forego the rest of their college careers to focus on their ATP WTA careers, respectively. Now, look, Ethan Quinn's got a US Open wild card on the horizon. He's the 2023 NCAA singles champion. He qualified for the ATP accelerator program, meaning he is going to have the opportunity this summer to not just play futures events, but play significant challenger events to earn significant amounts of points to significantly, you hear me keeping stress that word, build up his ranking, get to a point where perhaps by the end of the year, he'll be not a Ben Shelton type leap, but maybe he'll be in a position to play Grand Slam qualifying. Certainly he'll try to be in a position to where he won't need the accelerator programs. He'll be able to play challengers full time. Really, again, a springboard into his career. That's why that accelerator program so valuable, such an exciting development. That's the Quinn side of the equation. 
I think we should start there, Jay, because truth be told, given how many seniors Georgia's losing, Bride, Henning, Yuska, uh, I'm blanking, I see his face, Blake Kreuter, Britton Johnson, shouldn't forget him either. Given the fact that Ethan Quinn's dear friend and last year's Junior Wimbledon doubles champion Alex Mickelson, a Georgia recruit, has also ascended up the rankings into the top 350. And while college is still a possibility for him, it feels less likely with each passing day. Are you that surprised to see Quinn, given all the success he's had in college, ITA All-American champ, NCAA singles champ, make that formal decision to turn pro? Not really. I think once he won the NCAA singles title that probably cemented it he talked recently about how had he not won the ncaa title this decision probably would have come later in the fall sort of pending results because you mentioned all that opportunity winning the ncaa singles title opens up a lot of opportunity it's not just the main draw wild card to the u.s open it's also just the cachet that you have by winning that tournament the uh, sponsorships and the potential agents that might be interested in you at that point in time so i think this decision was going to come it was a matter of when it was coming and it could have been after he had a you know shelton-esque challenger circuit this summer and fall but pro tennis has always been the goal for ethan quinn he certainly you know proved that he was at the top of the collegiate game and when you're able to do that it's probably time to evaluate whether you take that next step yeah i i think we both saw his game it just felt ready like his forehand his serve he wins points on his terms with those two weapons and in my assessment, and I like to think I watch as much of every level as tennis as anybody out there, those weapons translate to the pro game. I was talking with Jacob Brum. I think I mentioned this last week on the show. He referred to the NCAA singles draw as a really good challenger event, and we just saw Ethan Quinn win that challenger event. And I saw him win a Futures title last year. This is a guy who's reached a Kalamazoo final last year as well, has had so many uh, successes at every different stop along the way. I don't think his pro career will be any different. I'm a big believer in Ethan Quinn. I'm very much looking forward to seeing him get started here at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. Of course, he already won a title, I think, in Wichita early. Or if it was either Wichita or... One of those, uh, yeah. It, it was he won Tulsa, right? And Adam yeah. Walton beat him in Wichita. I think that, that that sounds correct. Again, it was one of those two. He was right there, title and quarterfinals at the two events. Uh, for yeah, I might have it reversed. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the point remains the same. Um, I agree with you. I don't know how surprising this is. I will say, if you're looking for a player, I still got four years of eligibility, Georgia, because I think I'd make a great Georgia Bulldog. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> the race to fill roster spots is on between Iowa State women and the Georgia men. And we'll see who can fill them for us. We can have some fun. It's a summer relaxed edition of the deciding point. And by the way, Manny Diaz, Jamie Hunt, Georgia, even if next year might be a, a, a blip in the road, they'll be just fine moving forward. But that's part one of the equation. We'll miss Ethan Quinn. We appreciated having him for a year. Let's talk about the Maddie Sieg side of things. Because... We didn't talk a ton about freshman Maddie Sieg throughout the course of the year, but that wasn't because she wasn't having success. It's because it was such an up-and-down season for the USC Trojans, and even when talking about Sieg's success, you had to contextualize it in everything else that was unfolding for USC last season. And, you know, again, through the ups, through the downs, Maddie Sieg was the constant 
for the Trojans. It started, obviously, for her in the fall, and, you know, she comes into the dual match season as one of the top 10 players already in the rankings. She reaches, what was it, I think, semifinals in singles and semifinals in doubles of the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, Individually, as a freshman, I think she lost fewer than five matches throughout the course of the year. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I don't think she lost, I've lost it. She lost four. I still got it, Jay. That's what that tells me. To and only two players. Do you know who they were? Fongron. Yep. Who is the other one? Great. I'll question. give you. A, I'll give you a hint. It Fiona. came in the fall. Yep. Yeah, that's that. That was my other guess because it's like, well, the only person who could have beaten her in the fall was Fiona. So I'm going to go with Fiona, who has had a great summer herself. We'll see here next week. I don't think we're going to talk about her today, but we do have to talk about Maddie Sieg. Was I shocked? No. Did I raise my eyebrows to see Sieg leave? It definitely did, Jay. And I'm curious your reaction to the announcement. Yeah, well, I was fortunate to talk to Maddie yes, Sieg. you were. Uh, <laughs> on the, the no ad, no problem. I will say, you know, she's focusing on her pro career. Yes. And we will look to see how that uh, plays out. We're wishing her the best of luck over the next summer and the fall. You know, I think she recently came off having, you know, back-to-back 25K finals. As I mentioned earlier, she only lost to two players. It, unfortunately for her, right, she was a standout freshman, but there was just another freshman in the same town, in the same conference, who had just a slightly better year winning the NCAA singles tournament in Fungruntian of UCLA. But, you know, Maddie Sieg is another player who has had success at every level. She's a former top 15 junior in the world. Know, reached number two in the ITA rankings this year. As you mentioned, the only player, man or woman, to reach the semifinals in both singles and doubles of the NCAA tournament. The pedigree is there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at making this transition to the Pro Tour, we talked about the opportunity that Ethan Quinn will have with sponsorships and brand deals with the cachet of being the NCAA singles uh, champion. You know, Maddie Sieg will have the financial support of her family as she looks to make this transition. And that is something that eases uh, a lot of concerns when making that transition to the pro tour. And you have to travel, gosh knows where, across the globe. So having that financial support from her family is going to be really helpful in easing this transition. She'll have the support of her private coach. She's been working with Eric Cortland, formerly of the USTA. So I think she'll be set up for success. And, you know, she has grown significantly in stature as well as she transitions to the pro game. So wishing her best of luck. And you can hear more from Maddie about this decision on the No Ad, No Problem podcast. Absolutely. You scooped the USC team with that story, Jay. I was very, very imp- – I think you beat him, right? Your episode came out first before the formal tweet. <laughs> uh, it did, yes. Yeah, that's a, it's a scoop, my friend. Well done by you. It was a fantastic interview. And, you know, we did our award show, and one of our categories is talking about the player with the highest pro upside. And I don't think we had Maddie Sieg in that conversation. And that was an oversight by us because she does have all the tools. You mentioned it. I don't know if she's a firm six foot, but it's pretty darn close. And for someone that height to move as well as she does, you know, I don't think I have to reestablish my Dasha Vidmanova credentials here and my fandom of her game. There's a lot of similarities between the two and how they move and how fluid they are on both wings on, you know, again, just how easy every aspect of the game looks and for Sieg continuing to build on the weapon. She already has such a strong foundation, again, is really comfortable grinding 
at that size and the physicality she brings, I think she'll get into the top 300 pretty quickly. She has that serve as well. Yeah, that, that was a major oversight by us, Jay. And so I, I appreciate her turning pro to at least provide us the chance to correct that here on this show. But yeah, it's a tough loss for the Trojans, certainly heading into next season, because again, Sieg was the real deal and would have been right up there with all the other names as top contenders heading into the 2024 NCAA singles championships. That said, those are your two big news items. Ethan Quigg, Maddie Sieg, both electing to forego their remaining college years turn professional, as Jay alluded to. We are certainly uh, wishing both of them success as they begin those journeys. And I mean, spoiler alert, I'm going to be talking to Ethan Quinn this week in person here at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. So you can be on the lookout for that podcast on the Cracked Interviews podcast later this week. That said, let's get to some summer results, Jay, because there are so many events that happen across the Pro Tour in any given week. And look, for college fans, I know how hard it will be for all of you to follow ITFs, you know, not just the main draws, but you got a lot of college players in qualifying. You just got college players looking to play matches across the globe, whether it be ITF events, whether it be, you know, Bundesliga club tennis, which I know is popping off in the summer over in Europe, things of that nature. There are pros everywhere with college ties, and yet this is one of those weeks where players with college ties, they had success at the marquee levels. And I think the place we have to start with this discussion is the success we saw at the top of the ATP Tour. As your two ATP title winners this past week, they both have college tennis ties. Now, we're not relitigating the how many matches do you have to play in college to qualify with college tennis ties? But I'll tell you this, Francisco Sarundolo played a kickoff weekend. If that doesn't count, I don't know what will. And so for the former University of South Carolina Gamecock, I'm counting him as a guy with college ties. And obviously for Sarundolo, he knocks off Mackie McDonald, former UCLA singles champion in the semifinals, knocks off Tommy Paul, former UGA commit. Uh, in the final as well, 6-4 in the third. You know, you had a guy like J.J. Wolf who has established himself in the top 50. He makes another ATP quarterfinal. For what it's worth, Max Cressy snaps an 11-match losing streak. Alex Vukic continuing to consolidate his place in the top 100. He reaches the round of 16. But, you know, again, Sarundolo wins a title. And then the big dog. Chris Eubanks, just one of the nicest humans you will meet in all of tennis and will probably someday take my job and take my podcast when he's done playing because he is that magnetic of a personality as well. He's one of the few people who can unite all factions of tennis Twitter, and he did that this past weekend, earning his first ATP title after reaching his first ATP semifinal this week in Mallorca. Fights off five match points to knock off Lloyd Harris, 11-9 in a third set breaker. And then yesterday, 6-1, 6-4 over Adrian Manorino on a freaking grass court. I cannot overemphasize how impressive that result is. Jay, I promised we weren't going to mention everything, but it's hard not to when it's this successful at the highest level because Hanfman's into a semifinal and the 31-year-old former USC All-American, a guy, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, maybe the most underrated player in men's college tennis in the 2010s, 
He reaches a semifinals. That's after a quarterfinal in Rome earlier this year. Arthur Rinderkanesh reaches a much-needed quarterfinal. The former AM All-American has been a top 100 guy now for a couple of years consecutively. Jay, this is what I dreamed about when we started this in 2017, 2018. This is the script. I swear to God, if you were on the grounds watching college tennis during all these guys' eras, you just knew this was coming. Well, it might be two or three later years later than I expected, Jay, but what do you make of all this ATP success? Well, I hate to break it to you, but we are going to be litigating the Sarundalo piece of this for a <laughs> while because the former Gamecock who played five dual matches for South Carolina in the 2018 season didn't make it out of January, but he did play kickoff weekend. He's knocking on the door of being the top ranked former collegiate player in the ATP rankings. He's, you know, six, seven spots below Cam Norrie. So he's top 20 after this title this week. Oh, my God. Yeah, he is top 20 in the world. He and Cam Nori are the college tennis representatives. They're in the top 20. So uh, we will continue to have that conversation, but an incredible you know event for him winning his first ATP title. And on the Eubank side, I mean, this is someone who you know played for Georgia Tech for three seasons, uh, leaving after the 2017 season. He was number four in the country that year. One of the things that I think we'll see in doing this uh, podcast is it takes a while Mm -hmm. to break in, you know, and you mentioned it. Maybe it was a few years later, but you look at someone like Chris Eubanks. This has been a breakout year for him, right? He left college in 2017. We're six years later, and now we're talking this year. He's making the top 100, just is going to break into the top 50 now for the first time, right? So winning an ATP title, it can take a long time to break in. You have a lot of people who don't keep at it right for this long. And you have some people who do and end up having career milestones. You look at Yannick Hanfman, that was almost 10 years ago that they won the 2014 NCAA team title uh, with him at number one. So it's an incredible testament to, you know, the longevity these people can have as careers, particularly on the men's side where you're seeing just so many names creep up into the top 50 now with former collegiate ties. I think this is where, particularly as it relates to men's college tennis, these are the test cases. If you are six foot four or taller and skinny, play freaking college tennis. Like, what do you have to f- lose? And I think these are all just perfect test cases. In the case of Chris Eubanks, look, you know, I like to think I I originated. I was the first tall and skinny, and now I know I wasn't. But like, Chris Eubanks takes that to the next level. I mean, you know, again, it's just you can see every every outline of the calf muscle because that's how skinny his legs are. And it takes time to grow into that frame. It takes time to get comfortable moving around in that frame, understanding, hey, I got to play a little bit more aggressive because I don't have the hips of someone who's 6'2", 6'3". I got to take my shots for Chris and the one-handed backhand, developing the strength to come over the top of the return more frequently. To your point, it took three, four, five years for everything to click. But from Miami to now, he's just captured lightning in a bottle. And that is just how tennis works sometimes. And whether it's for him, whether it's for a guy like Hanfman, who honestly, I swear this is who he was in 2014. That kick serve wide, the serve and volley, the ability to come over the top of every backhand to change direction, play the slice, the feel. 
you saw the outline of this when he walked onto the court as a five singles player as a freshman. But, you know, this is a guy who's made an ATP quarterfinal here. And then eight months later, he'll make, a, you know, one in Carl's Rule. And then maybe he'll make one in Santiago in February. And then there will be another one. He'll play Stad in July. And it's kind of been one result here, one result there, hovering between 98 and 134 in the rankings, which at times can be the vomit zone because you're never sure what your schedule should be. Should, am I playing challengers? Am I getting into main draws of ATP events? How's it working? But persistence, time to develop, again, to grow into yourself. For Hanfman and Eubanks to have those college years to kind of say, you know what? I'm mature enough. I understand success doesn't come immediately to have the patience to wait things out. And then you just watch this guy and you're like, they're good. Like, it's just that simple. It's like they are top 100 good. And you know, again, even a guy like Nuno, it took three or four years. He's now consolidated in the top 100. It's just like guys like Mackie and Marcos consolidating their spots as well as they have. That's the most impressive thing to me is by winning this title, Chris Eubanks buys himself at least another nine months of top 100 play. At least three more main draw Grand Slam checks, which... Tell you what, you play three main draws at slams, you're making six figures before taxes. And if you do that, you're living as a human for the year. It's it's everything. It's the next level. And it's just, I can't, like, I don't know what John Risner's approval rating is amongst, amongst Crack Rackets fans, but you saw him tweet it. 18 guys at Wimbledon. Like, that was unfathomable a decade ago. And now... I don't know how surprised I am to see because I'm like, yep, you're good enough. You're good enough. You're good enough. I don't know if I count you, Sarandolo, but you're good enough. You're good. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Isner kind of stole my tweet. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> kind of my gig with like the numbers. And I mean, yeah. no, but I look at that and I go, yeah, I mean, that's less than the U.S. Open last yeah. year. Granted, the U.S. Open, you have the benefit of the wild cards and things like that. But 18, you know, oftentimes you could see a two in, in front of that over these last few grand slams in terms of 20 plus players. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's not, and it's, you mentioned, of course, if you are a Chris Eubanks uh, physical frame, right? Yeah. You look at college, you go, that might, might help you develop. But even now, just with the careers going so much longer than they are from a lifestyle perspective, right? If you're in college 18 through 20 and the resources that mm-hmm. that, university provides to you versus being in monastir for six straight weeks tunisia trying to grind it out the 15k level at 18 years old i mean why not buy yourself a few years and know that this is going to be a much longer career there's not as much urgency to get out there immediately so uh it's it's an incredible testament to one the development that you can get from college tennis, but then also on the flip side, people are now seeing that the benefit of going to college and developing for a few years there before kicking off their pro careers. Well said. And, you know, again, it's, it's not just Eubanks, Hanfman, you know, Mackie McDonald's been a top 100 guy whenever he's been healthy for the last four years. And Marcos Giron, who, you know, again, he's the anti Shakira, his hips do lie. They've both been replaced. He's a top 100 player for multiple seasons. He ain't going anywhere. And, you know, again, once you hit double-digit slams, you – I always say, for me, 
it's not the barometer of a successful tennis player, but what do all these guys aspire? It's to play tennis so that you never need a real second job. And the more slams you play, the less likely you are to need a real second job. And all of these guys just continue to push themselves further in that category. Even a guy like Vukic, again, who's been grinding on the Challenger Tour for a couple of years now. He's got a foothold in the top 100. And yeah, I thought it was a really good week for the college guys. You know, again, if you watch J.J. Wolf in 2019, you're like, that guy's a pro. Well, guess what? He's a top 50 pro now. So really fun to see. Again, speaks to how high the level was in college then, speaks to all of the success these players are having now on the ATP side. Let's go to the WTA side of things. Wasn't the most notable sequence of results at the tour level this past week in terms of what we saw at our two WTA events uh, in Eastbourne, in Bad Hamburg. I believe the most notable college result came obviously in Bad Hamburg where Emma Navarro makes a semifinal at a 250 coming off of a week where she made a final at a 125K on grass. She continues to consolidate her spot, not just in the top 100, but top 70, top 60. And, you know, again, inching closer and closer to that top 50 debut. Now, we talked about Navarro a lot last week, so obviously any additional comments you'd like to make here, please do, Jay. But I know uh, in terms of, dare I say, tour-level result, uh, for on the women's side in particular, the big things happened in Wimbledon qualifying, so that's where I want to go next. But you want to offer that final bow on Navarro? Yeah, 55 in the world now after <laughs> these two grass court results. It's not bad after, you know, just a year ago. A year! Yeah, a year ago, uh, she was playing uh, NCAA tennis. So, uh, incredible results. I can't believe it. Like, I really, I watched Emma, and I thought she, she. I, if you ask me, describe 2021 Emma Navarro, it's very simple. One shot better than her opponent. Like, it wasn't just overwhelming. It was just like, oh, that's cute. Like, I like your little backhand cross-court angle, but I'm going to hit a winner down the line now. Or, oh, you want to go forehand to forehand on this point? You did well, but not quite well enough. And that same rhythm, that, dare I say, smoothness, it kind of reminds me of when I used to watch Stevie J back in 17, 18, where there was just this subtle confidence. I'm projecting, but there was just this subtle confidence of like, yeah, but I've been the best at something. And you on the other side of the net, you don't have that confidence. And Emma just does. Like, the kids call it Riz. She has that Riz on court, Jay. She's just, she's got the swag about her. I don't know, it's so smooth. I don't think that's what Riz means. It's charisma, but... <laughs> first of all. Let the record show. That's why I use it. Yeah, I mean, she certainly uh, has that je ne sais quoi a little yeah. bit. Like, you know, things maybe, you know, she feels uh, loose out there, right? Yeah. In a way that maybe other players don't. Uh, but yeah, I'm just more surprised to see her success on grass. I talked about that last mm -hmm. week and this slice backhand works really well for her on grass. But other than that, I thought, I mean, she's all of her success has come on clay. So for her to make that transition, uh, it's been a, a really big surprise. She got a tough first round at Wimbledon facing Alexandrova, who has a ton of weapons on grass. She beat Peyton Stearns at the U.S. Open last year. But uh, yeah, we'll see if she can do any damage. I feel like she also just plays more physically than she used to. Like, you can tell five, ten pounds of muscle. Like, she's just, she's ready to be a pro athlete now. Not that she wasn't athletic in college, but there's just a little edge to it now, if that makes sense. And so, yeah. Yeah, it does appear like she's taking this very seriously. And yeah, that's not to say she hasn't in the past, but you can just see the 
you know, there's a transition when next you go level. from college to the pro, the next level, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's really fun to watch. And, you know, again, she's not the only one having success because you look at Wimbledon qualifying. Where to begin, Jay? I'll let you take your pick. A lot of fun results. Where do you start? Well, for me, the standout of Wimbledon qualifying, both on the men's and the women's side, was Carol Zhao. This is a former Stanford player, former NCAA singles finalist in 2015, who was at a career high of 131 in 2018, and then really struggled with injuries. Uh, Contemplated retirement post-pandemic. She was outside the top 500 for a few years, and she's been slowly working her way back uh, in since 2021. And, you know, she qualifies for the main draw of a grand slam for the first time and not only that she now has a very winnable first round match in Korpach, who is a lucky loser so uh, a great story for carol Zhao. another testament to what we talked about earlier where these results can come you know later in life i just talked about you know she's now 28 which makes me feel really old but <laughs> um yeah huge credit to her um she was the storyline for me from wimby qualies yeah carol Zhao is like a year older than me in school i think and so i'm like yeah i still feel young don't you worry about it uh so i'll feel young enough for the both of us yeah it's remarkable. And I mean, up and down the draw, the Carol Zhao's of the, I mean, you just see college players absolutely everywhere. And, you know, again, she's the only one who qualifies, I believe in either the men's or women's jar comes through qualifying formally to do it. But I I do think part of the Wimbledon qualifying storyline as it relates to players with college ties in singles is like, yeah, a lot of them didn't need to play it because they're in on their, they're in on their ranking. And that's remarkably impressive. But yeah, you know, up and down the board to see players like Joe Monday, Toby Samuel get wins in opening rounds of qualifying. Rinki Hijikata, who reached a pro semifinal, uh, 250 semifinal, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago to see, you know, him continuing to win matches inch closer and closer to the top 100. That's a guy who did not play number one singles for his team throughout the majority of his career and is going to make a top 100 push coming up in these next few months. Remarkably impressive and yeah, I mean, it just speaks to the fact that right away, we, we say it all the time, the best of the best in college tennis, challenger-level stuff at a minimum, top 400, top 300, or in the case of slam qualifying, top 250 level of tennis. And that was my biggest takeaway, I suppose, from the Wimbledon qualifying. Any other names jump out to you? No other names. I mean, just on the um, Johannes Monday and Toby Samuel, right? You know, I'll just say. For the record, Johannes. He was the first to correct me. It it is a loud J. Did I I say Johannes? You threw me a yo. Yeah. Oh, I'm working on it. Um, (laughs) No, six years and I've only known him for two. I've been calling him Johannes. So trust me, I'm there with you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't try to do it. But yeah, Johannes Monday, hence Jomo. Yeah. Um, You know, both of them winning winning their uh, first round qualities. But look, USTA, I'm watching you. That's two qualifying (laughs) wildcards to active current college players from the LTA into Wimbledon qualifying. We will see. Normally we flirt with like one to three on a great year. So uh, that's the benchmark that the LTA has set. Mm-hmm. Can I call Diana Schneider Daishnai? Do I have permission? Because Daishnai any- wins a match. Uh, does anyone call her that, though? No, but we should, right? I think it, they call her D. Oh, 
We're not on D status. <laughs> I don't know where well enough to call her. But D. we're on status of like make up our own nickname. Well, because what if she's like, I kind of like that one. And then it's like, well, I made it up. And then she's like, well, I'll do an interview with you. And that's how friendships begin. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Daish and I played. I, I thought she was solid. Um, again, in quality, considering to come from college, play the French Open. Now you're thrown to the wolves on grass courts and you win a match as well. Again, under normal standards, if she wasn't already a top 100 player to see a 19-year-old win a qualifying match coming off of a season of college tennis, we'd go nuts. That's why I wanted to frame it like that and bring her up because it's like, just don't forget, like, she yes, top 100, but this is a really special talent, and we're all really excited to see where she goes from here. And so, yeah, a lot of fun Wimbledon qualifying results. Let's talk ITFs quickly, and then we'll get to the week ahead because there's a lot of good action ahead that I want to shine a light on uh, for all of our college tennis fans tuning in today. But a lot of good ITF results. I know we missed someone last week on the women's side, Jay, so that's where I want to start this week. Talk to me about your standout performers across the women's ITFs or results. Yeah, well, last week we missed uh, Marty Capurro, former Oklahoma uh, women's player. She was there a senior in 2021, so she just missed the 2022 NCAA final team, helped build that program, though. Uh, she wins back-to-back 25K titles in Santa Domingo, and you know she's now up to 329 in the world. This is a player that played number four her senior year at Oklahoma, an Oklahoma team that was you know, top 25, but not the number two Oklahoma that we had seen the year after. So uh, really impressive results for her out there on clay as she starts to continue to build her pro career. Yeah. No, I, I mean, again, you win 10 straight matches. I don't care if it's juniors, pros, club, local, whatever it may be, you have the tennis world's attention. And Speaks to the fact, you know, again, she played four. We talked about it last week. J.J. Tracy, who played three this year, he won a title. And, you know, again, as you look across the board, that happens uh, in so many different places because the depth is real across college tennis. And, again, you're playing top 1,000-level tennis in the world regardless of where you're playing if you're on a major school program. Um, That was certainly the, uh, I would say, probably most notable results on the women's side, at least this week now. I got to give a shout out to Yudis Chong. I know we've seen it before, but it just needs to continue to be said. D3 tennis to what is Yudis Chong's career high? Let me click on it. Yudis Chong's career high, number 213. She's currently 289 in the world after she won a, uh, reached the final, excuse me, of a 25K result uh, uh, tournament this past week. That's awesome. And then for someone who's been ranked as high as 650 in the world, the fact that Haley Giovara had never reached a singles final in her pro career until this week in Irvine. The fact that she then not only wins her first singles title this week, but sweeps the event and wins her first doubles title as well with Stanford incoming freshman Catherine Hui, who, Jay, here are the poker chips. You can have them, my friend. I'm pushing them in. You add her to that Stanford lineup. We might have a real conversation next year for the national championship. I don't care how good this UNC team coming back is. That's I'm in on Catherine Hui, needless to say. But to the Haley Giovara point, I was watching it's a, a documentary on Christian Leitner. And Coach Mike Krzyzewski was talking about him. And he's an interesting talent. And it's like, look, he is a fire. And on the right day, he is enough fire that he can keep your entire building warm. But on the wrong day, it can kind of leak out of control and the whole building can burn down. 
That's Haley Giovara's game. And in today's final, she lit the building up in the best way possible. Just the racket speed. The fact that she just says, that's cute. Like, nice forehand cross. I'm going big line now. And I might not make it, but this point's over. And just the more pro tennis I watch, the more I mature and realize you just got to have weapons. You have to be able to say, no, I'm playing my tennis and it doesn't matter what you do. And for Giovara to have four years in college to hone in the weapons, to just, again, polish everything up, I think we saw that epitomized in the week she put together. Didn't drop a set on her way to her first singles title. She was jaw-droppingly good today. Yeah, and she can be jaw-droppingly good. And I thought you started to see that towards the back end of this past season, her last season at Cal, but she was still batting 500 there at the top of the lineup, and that speaks to kind of you don't know what you're going to get from her. So for her to start to string together these sorts of matches consecutively, I think is a really good sign because, again, on her best day, she can beat she can beat anyone. Uh, so, I, and again, just a huge testament to the SoCal Pro Series for giving these players this opportunity. I mean, Haley Giovara has dabbled a lot in the ITF Pro Circuit, but to your point, never made a final before. You know, now she gets 15K points, which aren't, going to skyrocket you up the rankings but they're enough to get you in the door that you can start to build your pro career you can start getting into qualifying for bigger events so uh look forward to seeing what she can do because uh, her weapons are, are pretty astounding made a semi-final uh semi-final quarterfinal of a 60k in sumter a couple weeks ago as well and just yeah the weapons have always been there and I was talking to one of her teammates today who said the same thing. Just some practices, you're like, I don't want any part of what's going on at <laughs> Court Giovara today. But then there are the other practices where you're just like, oh, like, did you see what Haley just did? Like, that was real. And she did it twice. Um, and it's just, she plays captivating tennis. It's really fun to watch. And so, yeah, shout out to her first title of her career. All right, we're going to rapid fire through the rest of the men's results because there are a lot of them from the week, but I promise, Jay, I'm going to rapid fire through. I'll give you the result. You give me your thoughts. That work? I think that's our best format. I think that... Leave it in. All right. Kipson, first challenger title. He knocks out former Florida State standout Benjamin Locke. That happened uh, at the challenger in Medellin. Now, it's worth noting, shout out Matias Soto, the former Baylor All-American. From qualifying, he reaches a challenger quarterfinal. He's played some really good ball of late as well. Thoughts on all the Medellin action? Yeah, I mean, Kipson, former Kalamazoo champion, played one year at Texas A&M, battled through a lot of injuries, now up to a career high of 271. Another player, keep an eye on for the rest of this year. He's an in-person watch where you're just like, those are the legs of a top 100 player. And you know it when you see it. I'll just leave it at that. And so, yeah, it's smooth. It's real smooth for Patrick Kipson. So I look forward to seeing him again tap into. It could be Eubanks-esque where it's a slow burn, but once it starts burning, again, it's going to be very enjoyable. That, I would say, would be your big challenger result of the week as it relates to college. Now let's rapid fire through the ITFs. Another 25K title for former A&M All-American Val Vachero. He was the guy—I mean, I remember— uh, the amount of times Chris Hallioris on the podcast was like, I'm telling you, Vashro's going to be the pro, him and Habib. I must have gotten that speech 30 times in my life in 2021. But damn, you look for Val Vashro again, continues to do it. And now by winning this title, I believe he should be 
back inside or right around top 300 in the world. Strike zone of the slam qualies. That's when you make the big breakthrough, Jay. Yeah, we talked about him last week. I mean, he has the game for that, that vomit zone. He should be well within uh, a slam qualies each and every year. Yeah, I agree with you there. And so, you know, again, I think that's a big one, obviously one that will be on the names, uh, on the mouths of so many. Lerner Tien, singles title number one for the 17-year-old who, of course, won Kalamazoo, boys 18's title last year, Australian Open junior uh, boys singles finalist earlier this year, French Open semifinalist earlier this year. God, did he look good today against Quinn Van de Castile. And here's the biggest compliment I can pay Lerner Tien. All, and I'm not, this is not meant to be disrespectful to Quinn, who's made back-to-back finals, first two finals of his career. He is the sleeper entering the NCAA's conversation right now next year. But watching Lerner today, Jay, I swear to God he didn't try. He was like, yeah, it's... That's fine. I'll all right. I'll I'll hit a winner now. Like, oh, it's four all on the service board. All right, it's time for me to separate. It's just so in rhythm. I think he might have grown another inch and a half. Like, ah, it, first serve percentage was awful, but he's seventeen. First title. It, it's a big deal. It's a it's a significant mental milestone. Feels like the first of many. Yeah, and we have to remember he's still young, seventeen years old, and yeah. you know I imagine he'll play Kalamazoo again this year, and likely a pretty big. Uh, summer and fall last fall was pretty disappointing for TM we saw him go to college likely because of those less than stellar results so I'll be curious to watch him throughout this summer you know what match I'm hoping to see this summer and fall is Lerner versus Ethan Quinn Mm. give it to me some tournament didn't get to see Lerner play the NCAA is not saying he would have won it but I'd like to see it I have no issues with that. The other guy I want to see more of, incoming Pepperdine freshman Edward Winter, who reaches the semifinals of this event. You have our attention, as always. Coach Schachter Lee. Sandra Jong, another title for him. 15K, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, semifinalist at the event. Thoughts on that? I mean, we talked about Sandra Jong. I mean, back-to-back, yeah. coming from playing four with TCU. Uh, he's having a great start to his pro career. Yeah, Again, foreign name only. He was the landlord because you had to pay toll when you came to his court. And yeah, the weapons are real. I think he's going to be top 500 pretty quickly. Uh, you look at the other results. Let's see. What do we have here? We'll go quickly. I only have one more I ha- on my list for you. Liam Draxel, final of the 25K in Santo Domingo. Knocked out by Martin Dom, who I would have loved to see play college tennis. Now, obviously didn't, but Draxel through to the final. Nick Chappell, who was the volunteer assistant for TCU, former TCU standout as well. He's into the semis. That's my last set of college results. Oh, nope, I missed one. Iñaki Montez, of course, shout out. He wins a 15K title, 7-5 in the third in Spain. Thoughts on those final wave of ITF results? Yeah, well, we talked about uh, Ethan Quinn and Maddie Sieg turning pro. Liam Draxel of Kentucky also turned pro, former 2021 ITA Player of the Year, makes the final in that first 25K after his announcement. So credit to him. Uh, best of luck in his pro career. One more name I'll wait, throw Wait, wait, don't out. say it because I think I know who you're going to say. And am I, I want to emphasize, this is a joke. This next sentence is a joke. But since he might be my next head coach, got to give a shout out to Oliver Tarvit, who, of course, was the San Diego freshman coached by potential next Michigan head coach Ryan Keckley over at San Diego. That's the joke, by the way, Jay. Feel free to laugh for me. Uh, Tarvit, one and one in the final. First title, not too shabby. 
Yeah, I missed the joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, look, add him to the first timers club, right? We're talking about uh, players reaching, you know, making their first final, winning their first title. Uh, he was underrated this year as one of the most outstanding freshmen that we had in college tennis. So credit to him, credit to the USD team who continues to recruit very well for a non-Power 5 school. Mm-hmm. I agree. And with that said, that'll do it, folks. That's your past week of results from players with college tennis ties. Now, as we alluded to earlier, 18 men with college tennis ties entered into the Wimbledon main draw. Is it six women? Seven five. women? Five. I, I, it was five or six. Five women uh, into the Wimbledon women's singles main draw. Those are the headlines, obviously. I guess we'll start. Let's just headline it quickly. What college player goes furthest? I saw you ask uh, Archit. I ask you now. Who goes furthest? Well, I need to go back and, and listen to what they said. <laughs> I haven't listened well, to no that. Well, no spoilers. There you go. No or, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, give me Eubanks. Give me okay. Eubanks to ride the momentum. I haven't looked at the draw too much, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I got no problem with it. I'll go. I'll take BS. Give me a big Ben Shelton. Like third or fourth round run. I just, I, I mean, think, I think he's gonna have the sauce. I think yeah, he could just be primetime Ben, right? I and mean, he struggled yeah. since the Australian Open, showing up again at Wimbledon. We'll see. I, I thought he was gonna have a bigger grass court season, so maybe he ends it here at Wimbledon. I mean, he's been in Europe for three months after never leaving the states. Like, look, I'm not making Ben Shelton excuses. We don't have to do that here. I'm just, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna ride BS. I'm feeling pretty good about yeah. it. Uh, women's side. Well, there's not a ton. Um, Will you name the five women for us? Uh, off memory, uh, yes. Emma Emma Navarro, yes. Peyton Stearns, yes, Carol Zhao, Danielle Collins. Oh, I mean, who haven't seen her play in a long time? Um, who's the fifth? Yeah, that's uh, who I was. I was literally, I literally was like, I can't think of who oh, the fifth. Oh, is. I know who it is. Uh, Meyer Sharif. Yeah, that's Pepperdine. exactly who it is. And who, by the way, tricky first round match. I think she has. Um, Navarro? Do we just ride the Navarro train? I, I well, Navarro has an Alexandrova in the first round. Oh, Ecat? Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, I mean, that's a go. Give me round. Carol Zhao to make the second round. All right, I like it. I'm pretty sure Stearns doesn't have an easy one either. Von Drusova. Yeah. And Dominic. Stearns, I mean, had like a, a tapeworm. She's yeah, been he did. unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. And Collins, I mean, who knows? I mean, I know. Seen, I'll know. go Danielle because just on <laughs> posterity. Well, she'll I? make the final. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well said. Um, all right. Those are the headliners. For us, of course, the headline is the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. And as I alluded to earlier, back in the day, Jay and I are both old enough to remember when you bought DVD collections or sets for a season. And every so often, they'd throw in that bonus DVD with a little extra footage. Well, for those of you who ordered the 2023 NCAA Men's Tennis Season DVD collection set, rest assured, we here at Cracked Rackets are about to send you a little bonus CD courtesy, bonus DVD, excuse me, courtesy of our coverage of Bloomfield Hills that acts as the first in a sequence of challengers this week that are offering opportunities for those players who qualified for the ATP Accelerator program on the men's side. Players like Elliot Spazieri, Nishesh Basavaretti. I know Ethan Quinn got a wild card into the main draw, but in qualifying, you see the Ozan Barrises, the Pat Maloney's, the Andrew Fentys, the Z- I mean, Again, the Clarks of the world. He's not Accelerator program, but Cannon Kingsley's, Justin Boulay's, and just, I'm in heaven. Like this, 
Lexi Galarno. I just, I mean, again, you came to my hometown and Katie Shikori is an afterthought for me at this event. Jay, what are you looking forward to most about Bloomfield Hills and more broadly the accelerator program getting rolling this week? Well, yeah, I mean, most of those guys you list actually aren't using accelerator program uh, entries, which is crazy. I mean, you have people using the accelerator program entry like a Spazier. You have people like Basavretti using their junior accelerators. You have wild cards. You have direct acceptances like a Lafayette. There's 11 guys playing the Bloomfield Hills Challenger who competed in the 2023 college tennis season. Shout out to the Cranbrook Tennis Classic who has been uh, rewarding college tennis guys up and down, both in main draw and qualifying. So a uh, huge number, two other guys that are playing in ATP challengers this week through the accelerator program are Chris Rodesh, most outstanding player for the Virginia Cavaliers. He is in Germany. And then you had Sebastian um, Domingo of Notre Dame who lost his qualifying first round match in Italy. But yeah, I mean, Bloomfield Hills, Alex Gruskin, MC, it's same cast of characters from the 2023 NCAA event. This is this is peak for you. I don't know if it's going to get much better. Ah, that's what I'm afraid of, Jay. I agree <laughs> with you. It's just it, there's and I will say there's a buzz. A lot of people are really excited now. A lot of them are family or friends or people I have known for a really long time in the tennis community and here in SEMTA, Southeast Michigan Tennis Association, we stick together. Um I mean, it's great. Like, you know who's hitting here this week? And I know this happens at every Challenger event, but I saw Andrew Zhang of Duke. I saw uh, Steve Foreman, Northwestern. I saw Michael Zhang, who's another name I don't think we mentioned, but the Columbia standout who reached a Challenger final a couple of weeks ago. He's here in the draw and just, you know, here's my dream scenario. And Aunt Ronnie, if you're listening, I should have just texted you this before. I'm sorry. Ronnie Bernstein, Michigan women's tennis head coach. My dream scenario, Jay, is that Michigan announces their new head coach next Thursday, and then Friday we can bring them down or she down to the Bloomfield Hills Challenger and introduce them to the Southeast Michigan tennis community and, I don't know, get a little buzz going about the hire because everyone's going to be there to watch Nishi Corey. But then on the side, they'll be like, wait, so tell me what's happening at Michigan. And what's your plans and what's your future? And there's, again, two cents. That one's for free, Michigan. Uh, feel free to take that one. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we got a couple of weeks to wait before we hear anything Michigan-wise. Um, notice how I sneak that little nugget in at the 53rd minute. But uh, I'm excited. Like, uh, it's the best. It really is. I mean, Bicker, I should have said shut up, Bickerstaff. All the Michigan guys are hanging and, like, you know, again – 10 minutes from my parents' house. There's nothing better to be like, all right, it's raining. I'm just going to go home. I'll be back. Just text me if you're free and I'll be here before the match starts. Yeah, I wish I could go back to my parents' home when it was raining in Orlando. Rather yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than like uh, sit in the car or, you know. Yeah, so no, it sounds like in a great event. I, I've heard long tales of this Michigan tennis community that appears to be quite thriving. Uh, it has a long history. You don't need to regale me with it again, but no, it's been great to see that community rewarded and come together. And it looks like a beautiful facility and you have so many um, top tier talents that, that names people know like Nishikori, but then so many college guys as well who are getting started either on their pro career or getting their, their feet wet so that they have a pro ranking when they uh, hit the pro tour in a year or two years time. Andres Martins here as well. That's an underrated guy from uh, the. 
if you want to see the full list, you can either go to my Twitter or Instagram. Or the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or where I've listed all the college guys who are competing on the ATP Challenger Tour this week, yeah. all 13 of them, so we don't leave anyone out. That's right perfect. Now. That can be the perfect place for us to wrap this show. But the last thing I'd say is because you know I do like alert. What separates a good tennis pro, uh, a good tennis player from a great tennis player? Show me the legs, and I'll be able to tell you the success. All I'm saying, Andreas Martin has the legs. Like I was like I saw the movement and I, in person the physicality because he's he's not the biggest guy but then you see it in person and he's a little stockier than the camera displays and I was just like oh like that's why <laughs> like that's how you get that after that ball. doesn't it give soccer vibes though ooh yes it gives but, soccer not tennis to me but it's also because it's skies out thighs out like he's not afraid to cut the shorts a size small yeah but neither is Ethan Quinn. You know, and, and he's not giving soccer legs. Yeah. You know what? I actually think that's a really good cop. I, I think that's the perfect place to end. I think that's a great <laughs> observation by you, John J. Parsons. So if you want to see Andreas, soccer legs, Martin, or any of these players competing, again, Bloomfield Hills is the spot. Another uh, another USTA SoCal, by the way, event this week. Last uh, Final two weeks, both at Lakewood. Uh, we'll have coverage Saturday, Sunday, once again, on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. So be on the lookout for that. Did we hit everything, Jay? Did I miss any events? If you did, you can tweet us at jtweetstennis <laughs> yeah. at AL at Rackets. Yeah, I like it. By the way, I am happy to ring it in as a GSP because that's what this podcast is and it's ethos. But just so you know, for the sake of the conclusion, it's going to be a mini break because I forgot we have like seven GSPs scheduled for tomorrow already. So we're going to let this one get some shine. And we talked about a lot of irrelevant events from around the world. So it feels like this should be a mini break podcast. So with that said, again, moving forward on this podcast feed, of course, we'll have coverage every day, recaps of Wimbledon. We'll try to get predictions for you, previews every day on the GSP as well. We'll be back next week with another summer edition of The Deciding Point. And yeah, again, coverage on-site, Bloomfield Hills Challenger. Look for it across our platforms at Crack Rackets, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, John J. Parsons, any final thoughts? You ready to wrap today's show? I'm ready. So for the fantastic John J. Internship Guy Parsons, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.